Greetings, church family. It is Pastor Dan here, ready to dive back into the book of Joshua and hopefully get a little bit closer to answering that question that we've been pondering over for the past couple of weeks. Why did God send his people to go fight in a war? Um, In the book of Joshua, we get a story, a chronicle, a narrative of the Israelites being sent out to the land of Canaan to literally destroy it and its inhabitants. So it's pretty violent imagery, and I think it's a pretty big contributor to the idea of a wrathful, vengeful, sort of uh, violent God that we get in the Old Testament. But we know that um, that isn't the whole image of who God is. Um, and, you know, this idea of a peaceful, peace-loving Jesus tends to conflict with that uh, in our heads. So the past couple of weeks, we've been sort of exploring that question. We've sort of trying to been figure out uh, what God is doing through this mission, through this calling that he has for the Israelites in this narrative, um, and see what calling he has for us as a result. So this week, we're going to be reading Joshua chapter 8. So if you haven't read it, Grab your Bible and read it real quick. I will be right here when you are done. So, quick recap. After Achan is executed, the Lord commands Joshua to attack again on Ai, this time echoing the refrain of, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, that we heard in chapter 1. God delivers Ai into the hand of, his, into the, hand of the Israelites through a clever plan. God simply instructs Joshua to set an ambush behind the city, and from this hint, the plan is born. Joshua sends a large detachment of troops behind Ai and then baits the city's soldiers with a second frontal force. While Ai pursues the second smaller force, the ambush can take the city without issue and catch the forces of Ai in a pincer move. The plan goes off without a hitch, and Ai is defeated. Now, one of the things I noticed about this passage is the teamwork between Joshua and God. I should clarify, all power, wisdom, and ability on display here is God's, not Joshua's, but there is something to be said about God's inclusion of Joshua. God wants to work with us and wants us to obey him. Obedience is one of the ways we can express our love to God, and he repeatedly calls us into that, giving us opportunities to express our love to him. We get to be a part of his big plan, and that blessing can be cannot be overstated nor overlooked. As such, it is important to have an ear bent to God. It is crucial to be in God's word daily and to be awake and aware while you are in God's word so that when he speaks to you through it, you can hear it. Life and the missions we are called to can be complicated things. As such, we ought to be attentive to the one who is commanding us, aware of his instruction, and guidance. Now, I'm not saying God will whisper exact instructions into your ear, but I am saying that the more attentive we are to the Holy Spirit, especially while reading the Word, the clearer our path forward will become. I also can't stress enough the value of working with God. We are his servants, yes, but this attack on AI really shows us God's desire to include us in his plan, his work, and his mission. Just like he gives us the freedom to choose him and make that love more real, he continues to give us the freedom to participate and contribute as to make our relationship more real. There is an especially powerful moment at the end of this chapter as well. After the battle at Ai, Joshua takes the whole of Israel to a mountain, makes an offering to God, and retranscribes the law of Moses. The altar and the monument renew their covenant with God. 
Now, I don't really like the idea of quote-unquote getting right with God, but mostly because it can have the wrong connotation. It should be clear that you cannot ever be good enough to be with God. Instead, we must recognize that we are not good enough and need Jesus desperately to save us. However, that is not what I'm referring to when I say, quote-unquote, get right with God. Even as believers, we continue to sin. We are not perfect. Realize that and recognize it, not for the sake of permission to sin, but rather that the sooner you realize this fact, the sooner you can lean on God for his power and strength rather than your own. The idea of getting right or renewing a covenant isn't so much a thing we need to get back into God's good graces, but is rather a heart attitude and practice that reminds us of who God is and brings us back into a close relationship with God. That is what we see here with the Israelites, fellowship, sacrifice, worship, and a refocus on the law. The refocus on the law is one of the most interesting to me. I think it has become fashionable in modern Christianity to disregard the stodgy or stale rule following as it is often related to the ineffective idea of legalism. However, we should not forget that these rules came from God and they exist so that we may have a better relationship with him. They exist for a lot of good reasons. They're wise, they're helpful in fostering a joyful life, they're good for people, uh, not just yourself, but those around you, and above all, they are what God wants. He has called us into these laws. Now, certainly, we can make these laws into a kind of God, but the laws themselves are not legalism, but an opportunity for obedience. It's not stodgy or stale rule following, but spiritual discipline hewing the stone of our hearts into a shape more like our fathers day by day. Now, there's one final note I want to make. Joshua reads the law out to everyone on that day in that last sort of paragraph. After transcribing it anew on a fresh stone slab, there was not a word all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and foreigners who lived among them. I think the Old Testament often gets a bad rap for being violent or misogynistic, but it's moments like this one that remind me of God's love and how it reaches over barriers and divides. In this day, women and children were essentially property, examples of wealth, and foreigners were nearly synonymous with the word enemy, and yet Joshua reads out the law of Moses to all of them, including them in an education of God. How much more so should we as Christians be inclusive since we first were included through the blood of Christ? Whatever your mission may be, be it teaching, hospitality, service, or worship, include the women, children, and foreigners in your midst. Not for the sake of pandering or condescension, but because we have a God who hungers for people to know him, who loves the lost more than we even love ourselves. Pursue the different with that heart certainly through all the various social, political, and racial divides we find today, but also seek out the new folks, the lonely or strange. Hunt down the awkward and uncomfortable, the annoying and the unloved. As we kind of continue to pursue this question of why God is sending his people to fight a war with Canaan, keep these thoughts in mind. These ideas of obedience, of working alongside God, of loving the weird and the different and being inclusive of those people who don't normally have the same rights or abilities or 
opportunities that we have. This is the Israel that God is trying to bring into Canaan. This is the world that he's trying to bring in. And keep in mind that this opportunity for obedience and this opportunity for uh, co-working together is something that God is doing, not just for the Israelites uh, in Joshua, but also for us today. So keeping your eyes open for those opportunities and keeping your eyes open for that relationship that God is calling us into is going to help us to have a more effective ministry and one that feels alive and life-giving like it's supposed to. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me today. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day, and I hope to see you soon.